Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Oh my goodness, that one never gets old. That was Let's Stay Together by Tina Turner. Why are we playing that song? Well, because it kicks ass. And because the man who single-handedly, I would say, creatively Mm. revived Tina Turner's career, Martin Ware, is sitting opposite me. Hello. (laughs) I wouldn't say single-handed. That's a little bit of an exaggeration. All right, that's my hyperbole. Pretty big, pretty big role. Uh, Yeah, I, I mean... We, I mean, she didn't have a record contract when we, when we first did. The first thing we did with her was was uh, Ball of Confusion on the first BEF album, and uh, that was really out there because that was totally electronic, really, pretty much. And uh, I think that's what convinced Roger Davis, who was really her, uh, the man who was directing her career at that point, mm. that oh, gotta keep an eye on these guys for their forthcoming album. So that's what happened. It still sounds so good. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I think so too, actually. So the reason that I have twisted Martin's arm to join me on a Saturday morning with a cup of coffee here in Soho is that, well, one of the many reasons is that coming up we have another screening of the absolutely lovely film by Jamie Taylor with uh, James Leasley called A Film About Studio Electrophonique. That will be on the 1st of March, 8 p.m., Picture House, Finsbury Park. If you don't know about this film yet, uh, I mean, I, I would say my best documentary experience last yeah, year. Yeah, where have you been? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> where have you been? Lovely story of a man named Ken Patton who started a studio in his council semi in Sheffield and found himself playing host, him, the shag rug, and, um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the, the upstairs and the bedroom. <laughs> The the, the uh, you know flowered uh, settees and the and and the uh, and and the rose covered wallpaper. <laughs> he found himself playing host to literally the future, musically yeah. speaking. <laughs> yeah, so we uh, I'd, I had a band before the Human League um, immediately prior called the Future. It's really when we just started thinking, oh, maybe we could have a future in the music industry, uh, but didn't really believe it. So anyway, we were looking for somewhere. We had our own studio, but it was literally just a two-track tape recorder bouncing from track to track and adding stuff. We didn't even have a mixing desk. We had one microphone. <laughs> and um, so we said, we'd better start taking this a bit seriously, a bit more seriously. But there were no recording studios in Sheffield at that point that we knew of anyway. And uh, so we put an ad in the paper, and Ken replied to us, Ken Patton, of which this is the film mm. about. And uh, he said, yeah, I've got a four-track tape machine. We thought we were the Beach Boys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, four-track. With a four-track. And uh, 
Yeah, and it, and the price was good. And said, uh, I said, have you got a studio? Yeah, okay, yeah, I do. I used to work at Radio Sheffield and blah blah. So we thought, oh right, we're going to do this, and we're going to take our, our synthesizers up there and go and record this stuff on a four track, and then we can mix it properly and blah blah blah. And uh, thought, well, it's in a bit of an odd part of town. It's in a place called Handsworth, which mm. is like a, a kind of, I don't know what we you call it, a suburban outskirts area mm. of Sheffield. Um, so I thought, it's a funny place for a recording studio. So <laughs> we went there, and it was actually just as it's like, it like Hollyoaks, you know. <laughs> it was a. It, I said, all right, and we went in. Uh, so we were welcomed by by his wife. Said, oh, would you like a cup of tea, you know, and all that. And went, yeah. And where do we should, where should we put the synthesizer? Oh, put them on the coffee table over there. <laughs> I'm going. Where where's the studio? I said, oh, we just record in the front room. And um, this was actually before in the documentary. Mm. It, he moved his studio into, I think, a, a conservatory or something a bit later. <laughs> that was really high tech. And then, um, so we're going, okay. It's like one of them low-rise coffee tables, you know. So we had to kind of <laughs> kneel on this deep pile carpet to play it. It was about the opposite of uh, of uh, of what you would expect for a kind of industrial dark. You know, we're doing one track called Looking for the... Looking for the black-haired girls, which is about the Son of Sam murders. <laughs> and there you were on the. And there we were in this table. chintzy <laughs> front room in on the outskirts of Sheffield. It is really anyway. He was very good. To cut a long story short, uh, we were there for two days, and they made us very welcome until kind of six o'clock on the dot when when his wife came in and said, "Ken, your dinner's on the table." <laughs> Wait a minute, we're in. Which is very John Shuttleworth, I have to say. (laughs) Before John Shuttleworth. And, uh, Ken, your dinner's on the table. And, um, and and literally, we had to just stop work. (laughs) I think we were in the middle of doing the vocals for the The Son of Sam. For the Son of Sam murders. (laughs) And, um, said, Oh, all right. Thank you, Mrs. Patton. And, um, went home, a bit confused, went to the pub, debriefed, (laughs) came back the following day and finished it all off. <laughs> so obviously Ken was a tinkerer, a DIY guy who was yeah. into into the you know how can I build a studio in my house? How can I yeah. work with this stuff? And we see in the film that you know he uh, liked inventing all kinds of things. He had a speedboat and so on. So so I get that he was into tinkering. What do you think he thought of your music? Did you ever know? Or- oh, I don't think he cared. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not not in a kind of dismissive yeah. way. I just yeah, don't yeah. think it was relevant to him. Right. I mean, he was just there as a kind of conduit for people's ideas. Sure. He was very encouraging. A sweet, right. Oh, okay. Sweet, sweet guy. But you know, like I often think, looking back, it was a bit like um, I don't know if you ever met, but if you go down, you go into the Cotswolds, you often meet these people in pubs, which are like ex-pilots from the Second World War, kind right. of very gentlemanly and. And kind of, it was a bit like that, you know. It was a bit like, I know my stuff, but um, I, I, I'm just here to help you, you know. Right. It was so sweet though, because obviously he was doing it more or less as a hobby. I yeah. mean, what they were charging us was, you know, kind of nominal, really. Yeah, yeah. This is such a lovely film. On paper, you would think, um, is there it's a, a warm, uh, yeah. warm, tremendous 
feel-good film and also very informative. I mean, it's not just us. There's mm. loads of uh, other bands from Sheffield who got their first break recording at that studio. Proto-ABC. Yeah. And um, we hear from Jarvis Cocker that a very young pulp um, yeah. went by. Um I think for people who are not musicians or producers, the idea of a story about a studio, you might think, oh, God, this is going to be it's going to be a lot of tech stuff. It's a human it's story. Totally human. And also not um, um, the director, Jamie Taylor, who was a, a school teacher, and James Leasley, who records as Studio Electronic. Um, they made this on an iPad. <laughs> I mean, well, it was not a big, um, a, a hugely funded big no, production. It's a classic example of... Actually, I think Sheffield is very much uh, an encouraging place for, for kind of DIY culture. Yeah. Um, I remember when we... Round about the time, actually, I was recording there, I was involved in fanzines and, you know, it's all about... I often think, I mean, I've lived in London for 40 years, and down here, you can lay your hands or you know somebody one or two degrees of separation who can help you do stuff. We're up there, you've got to do everything yourself. It's very much a DIY kind of producer, in the broadest sense of the word, culture. And um, so it's about community and people helping each other. A bit like Soho Radio, really. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um. It's um now you've done Q and A's for this film in different places. How has it been received? Um, uh, um I was. I, I think everybody. Well, I don't know. You tell me. You're closer mm. to it than me. Yeah. Probably. I mean, I've not heard a single indifferent or negative comment either yeah. online or in in the in the Q and A's. Um, I just think people are genuinely engaged with the whole film. And the fact that it was made on an iPad and started off as a kind of passionate hobby almost is a kind of... <laughs> it's a kind of meta thing about the entire comment on the film, isn't it? Yeah. You, you can, know what I mean? You can definitely see Jamie and James getting um, getting better at things, you know. They're, yeah. they're like... Ah, oh, we'll interview someone from ABC, but there's a fish tank behind his head. By the time they got to you, I could see that they they had the camera focused on you in, yeah. in your seat in the pub. It was a little a, a little more high tech. <laughs> yeah, but the the thing is, you know, you want it's much better learning on the job. Yeah, doing this stuff than it is going to college for like you know two or three years and learning you know cross-shooting, all that stuff. I mean, I just love the D DIY aspect of it. To me, it's like a vis almost like a visual uh, kind of kind of fanzine for, yeah. for Ken. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of stories, now, obviously, uh, this is radio, not TV, so the rest of you will have to imagine me holding up this book with a very handsome man on the cover yeah, in a it? fedora. Um, <laughs> so... You published your autobiography last September, Martin Ware, Electronically Yours, Volume 1. Okay, so the first part of your autobiography. Yeah. Um, well, assuming uh, I can find anybody to buy the second one. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, a film about Studio Electronic is looking back at a story and you and Jarvis and other people are, are looking back at parts of, you know, the start of your career. Um, what was the experience writing this book um, was that the first time you'd really sat down and thought about everything from kidhood to adulthood? Yeah, I mean, there's two things at play here. One is I had to wrestle with the idea that I was interesting enough to do it. Yes, you are. Uh, well, I, now I've done it, I think actually it's quite good. But <laughs> uh, 
when I started it, it was really just a, a means of me not going insane at home during COVID. <laughs> right. So <laughs> I just project. thought, well, if I commit, I'd never written an article more than 2,000 words Wow. in my life. And I was committed, I decided to commit myself to writing maybe three or four times a week, 3,000 words a day. Uh, and before I, before I knew it, it was quite a slog, but uh, I spent two months researching it as well um, with a giant spreadsheet on my wall. It took what? up an entire wall because <laughs> I can't remember. I had to tap into all my friends telling me what the hell happened. I mean... <laughs> you, Did you get conflicting stories about, no, no, that wasn't him? No, nah, <laughs> a few, but I mean... Fortunately, I've got a friend, Paul Bauer, he used to be in a band called 2.3, which was on Fast Products back in the day mm. in Sheffield. He's my, still my closest friend, probably. Um, we you, we used to joke when we were growing up because he is like a living archivist. Mm, mm. He knows more about me than I do. I swear <laughs> to God. I'm he not, knows where I, the bodies are. I'm not are. even joking. <laughs> he knows. Uh, so, of course, when this came around, I just tapped into his yeah. immense knowledge and... Um, and it's funny because he wrote a um, he wrote a foreword for the book, and it was very flowery. He's quite a good writer, mm. uh, but I mean, it was very stylized. Yeah. And the publishers went, "We don't want that foreword." <laughs> and I'm going, "Oh, this puts me in a difficult situation." Yeah. Hello, best friend. Um, <laughs> you're not on the album. <laughs> no, no, he didn't mind it. But that just to give you that idea, and then, yeah. um, but it was a, the process of writing uh, for anybody who's never done it. And that's a lot of people, of course. Yeah. It's a very odd psychological um, thing to do because I, I'm very much, when I'm creating stuff, I just let it pour out and then I worry about editing it afterwards and tidying it up. And I think that's the best way of doing things with music as well. And so I'd done this this 130,000 words and, and then I thought, well, I'll just submit it to the publishers. They'll tell me. I was contracted to do 90. I think they'll, <laughs> cut out, they'll tell me which bits to cut out. <laughs> they went, no, it's all right. Just leave it all in. And I'm going, oh, shit. Uh, that's, that wasn't quite what I intended. But, um, anyway, it's there now. But And then I thought, great, I've done it. And this is all exciting. There's lots of these publicity, you know, kind of Q&As and and literary clubs and did all that. And I'm used to public speaking, so I enjoyed all that. But then I realised, after about a month, I thought, it's very strange having everybody knowing your business. Yeah. Because you have to be quite can I, Well, I did anyway. Had to be quite candid about growing up and first sexual experiences and maybe some, you know, a bit of drugs and stuff like that. And then I realised that now everybody knows that <laughs> who's got any interest in me. Yeah. It was a really odd Not just friends, but yeah, fans. Yeah. It was an odd sensation. Yeah. So people like, not you <laughs> specifically, but people who I didn't even particularly like asking me questions about what it was like to lose your virginity in a bedroom. And so, you know, and it's like, yeah, I felt like saying, well, that's a bit personal. I went, oops. Yeah, I wrote it. <laughs> I wrote it and it's in the public realm, so I better get used to it. Yeah. Anyway. I've got used to it now, but um, it, it really made me feel strange for a bit. And um, it, it, some people say it's a little bit like overhearing your funeral oration, like when you're looking at your, at your life. Yeah. And I spent all my career trying to avoid the the limelight. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, that's you, you often hear people in 
in um, in show business saying that, and you think, what a load of rubbish. Mm. But it's not rubbish because it makes your life a lot easier if you're not if you're not in the limelight. If you're not Glenn at yeah, the front, yeah. Or if you're not, Tina or... <laughs> yeah. If you're not instantly recognisable. I mean, I used to. One of my best friends is Ian Reddington. He used to be on Coronation Street in EastEnders, and he's done loads of. Used to be with the RSC and everything, actor. And um, at the peak of his fame, he could walk into. I used to. We used to go and follow Sheffield Wednesday football mm. club around the country, and walk into any pub anywhere in the country, and they go, "All right, Ian, how are you going? Now, what's it like?" And then before you know it, he's got a crowd around him, and you go, "That kind of level of fame is a curse." Yeah, I swear to God. So I've always avoided that. So consequently, lifting that stone of doing your autobiography is um, is a is a different kind of mental challenge. I have to ask: Did you keep a journal? I know some people who kept journals throughout no. their life, right? Um, so did did you feel like there were things you um, other people helped you remember that you you had no recollection of? Or oh, were- oh, oh, my God. From about three weeks ago, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't take any drugs anymore, so uh, apart from you know medicine, but uh, uh, so it's not that. And I've got quite, uh, I've got a reasonable average memory, I would say. But it's just been, even though I say so myself, such a productive life that I've just spent my time doing stuff rather than analysing it or, yeah. or or documenting it. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I used to have file of faxes and stuff like that, but they all went in the skip, didn't they, when, <laughs> when you move out? You weren't thinking of the archive No, potential. absolutely not. <laughs> well, for somebody who started off with a band called The Future, that, that's yeah. appropriate. It would be a bit weird if you were like, yeah. let's already think about the past. So listen, speaking of Heaven 17, as we were, can't have an interview with Martin Ware without hearing one of my favourite tracks. Um, tell me... A fact I don't know about Let Me Go. I wrote it in a kind of lucid dreaming state, I suppose. I woke up, and that's only happened to me twice in my career. Um, I woke up with this melody in my head and the chords and everything. And I thought I just had to rush to get to some kind of recording facility to get <laughs> it down as soon as possible. Oh, my God. Um, it was that melody, and all that kind of yearning, suspended sevenths and unresolved chords. And I thought, I've always loved that kind of bittersweet thing in songwriting, where you're not quite sure if it's a happy track or a sad track. Mm. And uh, I think that's where the magic lay, in that meniscus between the two worlds. Ooh. All right, here's a meniscus between two worlds. This is Let Me Go, <laughs> Heaven 17. I've been sitting here with my headphones on. Uh-huh. i got to say, that sounds so sweet. <laughs> Let me go. Heaven 17. Martin Ware is my guest on Soho Radio, not just because he is the wise um, giver of insights in a film about studio electrophonique, but one of my... Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons when I was a kid, I knew I had to come to England. There was cool stuff happening here. That's so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't come for the food. No. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> so uh, Heaven 17 weren't really a touring band to begin with. I was talking to you just now about tour dates. What? Right, so when I used to, we used to tour a lot mm. with the early Human League and... Uh, we got into quite a lot of unrecouped debt with the record company. It's um, an expensive hobby touring <laughs> and, uh, and recording. So when when the I mean basically when the split happened and we formed Heaven Seventeen, it was we made a conscious decision to not tour and become because mm. we were big fans of like studio based bands and we yeah. loved the studio as a as an instrument, you know. And uh, and also because we had BEF as well and that was like yeah. a production arm and we thought, listen. This is clearly where our, our, our strength lay, and we didn't want to get into that two-year cycle of doing an album, Slugging touring, yeah. never seeing the people you love and your friends, and before you know it, you're hooked on some kind of you know drug to keep you going. And you know, I saw it happen to to our right. contemporaries, and uh, we just didn't want to go down that path because we were having a whale of a time in London. So. Um, in fact, I turned down quite a lot of production opportunities in America. So even production, I didn't really want to leave wow, London. Okay. Turned down a Bette Midler album and a Rod Stewart album uh, for that reason. Mm. And uh, everybody's going, you've got to go to America. It's after Tina. Mm. You've got to go to America. Right, You're yeah. going to make millions. I'm going, never been that bothered, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's not for me. So what was the question? Oh, oh touring. Oh, so you're touring. So do you do you like it? <laughs> Love touring, yeah. We've got about 35, 40 dates lined up so far this Whoa. year. Um, nothing until the autumn in London, unfortunately. But um, there are many other places. We're doing lots of summer festivals and mm. stuff. We're doing a tour in Germany coming up in March, doing an amazing gig in Sheffield, if you want to jump on the really? train. Oh, yeah. Mm. I'm doing a, a 3D, a uh, 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 full, total immersion 3D sound gig, um, doing new versions of music for stowaways with strings uh, in the Octagon Centre in Sheffield, part of the Sheffield University. Not only that, supported by um, Richard Norris from The Grid doing mm-hmm. a DG, DJ set. And also, amazingly, Steve Davis. Yes. The, <laughs> the Steve Davis. The Steve star Davis. Star of your podcast. Yeah, star of the podcast, <laughs> who is now a, not only a, 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 a DJ, um, but also is in a band called The Utopia Strong. This is it, Steve it, Davis, yes, the snooker player. The, the multiple, <laughs> yeah. Who, uh, Mr. Interesting, as he calls himself. And... Um, He's yeah, he's in he's in an electronic uh, dance act now, wow. where playing modular synth on stage. I know it's a bit of a shock, but um, and it's all going to be in three dimensional sound. Our, our illustrious three. What does sound. that mean? That uh, what does it mean? It means you know, like surround sound in a yeah, uh, you hear in a cinema. Well, it's like that, except it's it's also got a height axis as well. Right. So the, it sounds ultra realistic. And um, it, does the venue have to be set up in a yeah in a yeah special yeah it's got way, a, a speakers surrounding you everywhere yeah and it's, it's it's unmissable this is not going to be happening anywhere else so uh, I would strongly urge people to consider a trip to beautiful Sheffield and uh, this is this is coming up uh, it's for... March the sixth actually on Coronation Day so if you want to miss all that um, BS May the sixth um, May uh, sorry May the sixth right right not March sorry May. May the 6th, yeah. Go to the People's Day. Republic of Yorkshire. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Socialist Republic of Yorkshire. And, uh, you know, I, I, at the same time, 
they're giving me a throne and they're going to coronate me Excellent. The, the king of synthesizers. <laughs> you got to be there for this. No, they're not. But, oh, uh, damn. Oh, we right. thought it was funny when we realised it was on the same day. <laughs> what better place <laughs> to be? Um, so uh, I guess the other thing I wanted, wanted to ask uh, about Heaven 17 is clearly... Um, when you're doing these live shows, you're thinking of new ways to do things, to mm. challenge yourself technically, creatively. Yeah. So is there still joy in playing songs that you wrote as babies? Um, well, what I often say to people when I get asked this, why would you not mm. like it? Because people are paying you money to stand in front of people who are telling you how much they love the music you're making. And you get to be with your mates and... Have have the joy of, especially after COVID, you know, yeah. when everybody missed communal joy, right? Yeah. So I just don't understand people who regard it as a chore. I understand. I mean, we did a tour in America last year and Canada. And yeah. uh, that was insanely tiring. It was like 15 days in 23 days. and uh, it, It's not like going from no. Sheffield to Manchester over the Pennines. It's like I will yeah, never complain Chicago to... Yeah. About, I will never complain about touring in the UK again, believe me. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I just don't understand people who don't, don't enjoy it. Yeah. And also when you grow up, you learn the things that, like, I'm not going to do that. I would like to do this and get a bit smarter about it. And yeah, and also, you know, you, you need people's support and approbation to keep you enthused about what you do. Not just, uh, weren't we great, and looking mm. back, but I mean, I would like to think there are a certain number of things that we've been involved with have a kind of timeless quality anyway. You know, so it's not just kind of like kowtowing to an 80s audience. I mean, yeah. we get... I'd say twenty percent of our audience is 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 a new audience. Yeah. You know, either the sons and daughters of the people who who uh, they've heard it at home on their uh, mum and dad's uh, collections, or but there's a lot of eighties clubs out there, and it's not me and you going to these clubs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and what do they think they play? Yeah. You know. <laughs> so um, yeah, I do think that that kind of late seventies to mid eighties period is really a. A, a kind of golden age and uh, you know it kind of relates to the whole Ken Pan thing as well yeah and just a reminder anyone who wants to hear more insights from the charming and uh, eloquent Martin Ware my guest today should get down to Picture House Finsbury Park on the 1st of March 8pm there are still a few tickets available but don't hang about is what I'm saying um, to see this lovely film and Martin will be doing a live Q&A after that um uh, you can but, bring your records and I'll sign anything you want as well. Well, you're... Normally be... that costs money, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, spoken like a two Yorks. <laughs> Many of Mikkel. <laughs> well, I hope I'm going to get a free autograph on my oh, copy of will, the autobiography yeah, later. Um, before we go, I want to talk to you about the podcast, Electronically Yours. Yeah. Um, was it... Uh, I mean, you have an amazing number of podcast episodes and so diverse and the conversations are so great. Was doing a podcast as easy as you expected? How did you fall into it? Um, well, before the... When I was writing the autobiography, I thought, you know, apart from the Hem 17 gigs and stuff, I mean, I'm quite well known and got quite high profile within my peers. But in terms of general public, I'm not on the telly all the time or the radio or anything. I thought I'd better raise my 
profile. So I thought, I, I was listening to a lot of um, audiobooks and podcasts. I thought, I could do this. I've got, I know loads of people. I mean, loads. You have years. a contact book. I, I've is, got a yeah. big <laughs> contact book. And I knew I could, once you persuaded 10 or 20 of them, which I thought was going to be easy, and it was, I think people would catch on. And it, it then it kind of exploded, really. Unbelievable. And within weeks, um, I'd done one with Gary Newman that was like top three, you know, in the in the uh, UK music podcast charts. And I'm going, what is happening here? You know, obviously, I just think everybody listens to podcasts now. Yeah. Well, a lot of people do anyway. Um, and it's just, I always take notice of people on the tube and how many people are wearing headphones. And I'd say it's way over 50% now. Yeah for instance, and uh, so, and a lot of them aren't listening to the radio, I'm afraid to say. They're mm. listening to Soho Radio, of course. Thank it's you. More yes, interesting. of course, yes. But, um, <laughs> you know, the kind of national stations are, yeah. uh, can be a bit banal sometimes. And people can pick what, they, you know, what they're interested in now, and I think it's great. So I just thought, I know, because we have a large, dedicated fan base of people who like electronic music. We'll start there, but I wanted to expand it into comedians, people I admire generally, you know, Steve Coogan, and then, of course, Jeremy Corbyn, and I was very lucky to get that. And then, you know, I'm trying to get Mick Lynch at the moment. And um, But I like the idea, I've always, throughout my musical career, loved the idea of eclecticism. Yeah. You know, this idea, everybody goes, oh, well, we've got an album, and all the tracks need to sound a bit the same, and, and no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just well, working. I'm working with um, Kate Jackson at the moment, uh, right. ex Long Blondes, and mm-hmm. uh, Great I'm always telling her. Just you know, she comes in with different tracks and go, "Well, it's a bit slow. This one does it sound like the other?" And I'm going, "Your voice is the unifying factor." And right. in, in which case, the podcast, you know, my tone of voice and the way I structure things is the unifying factor. So I feel free to go off piste wherever I want. Yeah. Any surprises um, talking to people? I I won't ask you who was dull. Um, none of the ones I've listened to dull. sound dull. But who was um, who surprised you when you were talking to them? Like, oh, I got something I didn't expect. Oh or... well, I'd have to say that the best. I, I'm thinking about pitching a book about the what I've learned from the podcast. Mm. I think it'd be quite interesting. Um, I'd never met Gary Newman. Before I interviewed him. Wait a minute, a, I thought it, you guys all hung out in the same VIP lounge somewhere. <laughs> well, it's just amazing that we'd never met. So, and mainly because he, he, he used to be a Tory. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I don't think he is anymore. But anyway, uh, that was incredibly surprising because he's incredibly charming, interesting. Um, I never not liked his music, so that wasn't it. And... Um, He's a pilot. Do you know about? Wow. Yeah, he's a trained pilot on big planes as well. And Gary uh, Newman will be flying your plane yeah. today. So he was, he was flying. Uh, he, he told this story about flying uh, across the Atlantic with a co-pilot in in a kind of small liner. You know, I don't know why he was doing that. I think it's because he could afford to do it. Um, yeah. Anyway, he's flying across the Atlantic, and he was, and both engines failed. So he was plummeting towards the sea and thought, and it takes minutes, of course, because you're at a height, and they keep trying to get the engines restarted and everything. Holy crap. And on the way down, 
he's thinking to himself, there's a small passage out to the back of the plane, and he knew that there's, there was um, a, 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 a an escape um, thing. You know those things that come out if you open the door, mm-hmm. there's like, but there's only room for one person on it. And he was he, he was looking at his co-pilot going, he was actually planning to potentially, if he had to, like knock him out or kill him uh, to get to survive. Because you're going, well, I'm going to, no point is both dying. And I'm going, what? Thanks for sharing that. Uh, okay. uh, so that, <laughs> that, uh, that was quite a shock and um, a revelation. But it's been amazing. I mean, you know, some people are just incredible, like Tony Visconti. Anybody who's never read his autobiography, you need to go and buy it because it is, if you're interested in Mm. music, because he's incredible. And now I've got into a kind of swathe of 1990s and noughties kind of DJs, and that's very interesting because I'm now joining the Polar Dots of kind of Detroit techno and Chicago house and... uh, you know, just interviewed Jack Dangers, who's from San Francisco, and mm-hmm. his stuff is incredible. And they all know each other, these people. Yeah. And I'm going, oh, this is incredible. And, oh, and Derek Carter, who's... And, you know, I, I'm I'm just... I just love the fact that I'm in the middle of all this. Yeah. You know, again, I'm a little bit overwhelmed by it, but um, I love the fact that I can help people... I can help... I can entertain people, but also inform them at the same time. Yeah, that is a fantastic podcast that we've been talking Thank about. You. Electronically Yours by Martin Ware. Find it where you find any, any podcasts any, of quality any pod- and distinction. Oh, very good. A <laughs> Thank podcast you. of quality and distinction. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. We are going to go out with another track that I got to say, you worked magic on, young Thank man. You. Thank you. This is, yeah. Just listen and come down on the 1st of March to Picture House Finsbury Park to hear Martin talking about a film about studio electrophonic. Thanks all. Bye. Bye.